Welcome in lacrosse fans to the Utah Lacs Report. I'm your host, Tim Haslam. We're winding down the season here, and, and I'm getting really excited for the playoffs. I hope you you are as well. It should be a great time. Uh, I'm excited to see some of these matchups. I've got what the brackets may look like and also what would happen if we seeded the, the, the brackets with a different method. That's all on the site, utahlacsreport.substack.com. My interview today is with Mariah Greenstein, who is the Alta head coach and also coaches at True. In this conversation, we take a deep dive into the girls lacrosse scene here in Utah from a high level. We kind of talk some some strategy and, and talk about sort of some changes or, or different looks at the girls game. Really excited for this show and, and hope you enjoy it as well. While you're uh, listening, don't forget if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to leave a review and give us a, a like and a follow. That helps go a long way. If you have any feedback, feel free to send it my way, Tim at TimHaslam.com. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Coach. How are you? Good. Uh, thanks for having me. How are you doing today? Doing well. It's been a busy, busy week, as is uh, pretty much every April, right, during lacrosse season. I want to thank you for coming on the show, making some time today. Super excited to talk to you. It's always great to have a representation from the girl side. It's something that I, I try to try to do. I'm not great at it, self-admittedly, but definitely excited to have you on. So, so thanks for joining us. Yes, so excited to be here. The first, the first question I ask every guest, when did you start playing lacrosse? I started in the seventh grade back in New York. My um, older sister played lacrosse and she didn't like it too much. So my dad thought he would throw me in the mix and I cried for hours and I refused to step on the field because I didn't understand the rules and I never ended up going that day. But a couple of weeks later, he, he dragged me and uh, then it all started from there. Did, so did your, did your older sister stop playing completely? She did not make the varsity team at okay. high school, so she quit. I see. Okay. Because usually it's the other way around, right? The older brother or older sister plays and everyone plays and it's one big happy family. So that's interesting. Uh, yeah. def- definitely different. You, you played in high school. What high school did you play for? It's called Bethlehem High School. It's a suburb outside of Albany, New York. Okay. And then you went on to play in college. What was, what was playing college uh, lacrosse like? I played at Bates College. It's a Division Three liberal arts school in Maine, pretty far away from here. It's I tell people it's similar to Westminster. It's just a smaller school. And it was awesome. Awesome. It definitely consumed a lot of my college time and pretty competitive league for Division Three. So we we were at the bottom for a couple of years, but we started to creep our way up by the time I was graduating. What, what was one of your favorite experiences or, or memories, either in high school or, or college uh, on the lacrosse field? Well, there's, a, you know, conference championship every year, like everywhere. And I am not sure how many years it had been, but we had never made it past the quarterfinals. And for my senior year, we were doing much better during the regular season. And we ended up going to the semis for the conference championship that year and because of that we received an at-large NCAA bid so we then attended the NCAA tournament which was again a first for a while for us so that was pretty exciting yeah and you went and played in the NCAA tournament who who was your first round opponent we played Springfield College they're located in western mass I think and and Um, I'm assuming did you win 
<laughs> uh, we got a bye past the first round, actually. So they had to play someone in the first round. Then they came to us and we played them. And we lost in the lowest scoring NCAA game in history. Really? What was the it score? Was, it was three to two. Wow. <laughs> okay. A lot and, of defense. And and that low of a score, you know, in a in a men's or, or boys game, surprising. But I, I feel like in a girls game, that's really surprising. Really surprising. Wow. Okay. Very- so there's your claim to fame. I love it. <laughs> Amongst amongst other things, yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> what uh, after college you graduate? You know that's you're in Maine. How did you make it to Utah? I wanted to work in um, wilderness therapy, and I got a job out here, and I moved here, and then I never left. You know that's a common story for for people <laughs> in the lacrosse community. A lot of people are are that same way, and and we're grateful you're here, and, and we love it. You've been coaching at Alta now for for three years. You were there as uh, as the club coach, and the, and now into sanctioning. What are what are some of your pros and cons for sanctioning or or for club? Uh, I'll admit this is my first time going from a club to a sanctioned sport. So just like everyone, it's a first first experience for me. I I'm not sure I can think of a con. I feel like anything moving towards joining other high school sports. Other high schoolers' experiences, I think that's great. Having support from the administration at the schools and the district is just, it. it's all much more helpful. And honestly, I feel, I feel more a part of the community now just because administrators come to the games and now I have formed a relationship with them and their teachers get to come out and see them play. So I just think it's all, it's just making everything much more inclusive. Not that it wasn't that way before, but they feel like more of a school sport and a part, a part of the athletic scene. So it's, it's all really great. Definitely. And, and, you know, to your point, an admin could have come out to a game before, right. But it definitely makes it easier, obviously having that school support and, and being part of that athletics community. You know, I, I did a game on Tuesday and I was talking with the, the gentleman that we were calling the game with. And, you know, one of the things I said is being sanctioned is, is, tying into the rest of the support system that's in place already and has been in place. I mean, high school athletics have been in place for decades. And so when sanctioning came around, I was able to get tied into that. What's, what's something that you see is critical for the state to continue to grow, right? It, it's a tricky question because at this point in time, we've had the most amount today is the most girls teams we've ever had. There are more girls playing in high school than we've ever had before. And so it's kind of tricky to, to say, we need to keep going. We need more growth, right? Because right? we've come so far so already, but what in your opinion would, would kind of help move the needle even further? Yeah, definitely a big question. But the first two things that come to my mind are, there's a lot of programs on the girl side who weren't able to field the JV team, which completely makes sense. You, you know, if you only have 15, 20 girls, you're not going to roster two full teams. So I think the next step in girls across would get a varsity and a JV team across programs so that every age, every district, every region all has competition. And then that second thing would be coaches. I know that it's still a new sport and getting coaches for every, any sport is probably a challenge, but just getting more, you know, adults involved, whether it's, 
teaching other coaches how to coach or just teaching a basketball coach how to coach lacrosse, anything like that. I think it'd be really helpful just to help teach more, more young players. Or, or, you know, we could do what you did and, and just find more East Coasters to come and, and live in Utah. That seems to work well. Definitely not the only path, but a path for sure. And, and so you, you talked about getting the JV teams, right? And, and I feel, you know, that'll, that'll come with time. Let me ask you this, and, and there really isn't a wrong or right answer, but would you rather see more schools have it with only a varsity team, or would you rather see less schools have it, but they all have JV teams? I'm going to go with the first option. Just because a school having a varsity means maybe five years later, they'll have a varsity JV and a freshman team. Yeah, no, that, that makes complete sense to me. <laughs> it, it would be great to, to, to see that come along. And, and I think that, I think that we will with time, you, you know, nothing, nothing's going to happen overnight. To, to be honest with you, I was in college in 2007 writing about sanctioning right? There was a sanctioning committee at, at then the Utah Lacrosse Association. They were pitching sanctioning. And so f- it took 14 years. And, and so I think that that as much as we want the sport to grow and add more teams and, and all of this and, and get some of the bigger regions on board, I think it'll just come with time. And, and that's exciting. Let, let's transition quickly just to the girls game. I know a lot about the boys game. I know probably more than most about the girls game, but still don't know a lot. My daughter is playing in a third, fourth grade league on a Farmington Davis team and standing next to the other parents. There's a lot of confusion, especially if they, if they've never seen girls lacrosse before. So let me start with the first question. Strategy wise, what are some of the basics when it comes to girls lacrosse strategy on offense and defense? What a good question. I like to say lacrosse is just like basketball. Obviously, if you've never played basketball, that's not a helpful answer. But just like basketball, you have a paint where it restricts where defense and offense can go, right? So in the girls game, we have a similar space to the paint where defense cannot be unless they're guarding someone. So the biggest, you know, strategy on defense is keep your defenders between the goalie and the offense and try to keep them out of that paint. I think that is like big picture right there. And then on the flip side, on offense, again, similar to basketball, you have that 12 meter arc. That's kind of where you put your guards and your point guards to take, you know, three point shots or to keep the court spread out. You want all seven players really, really big around that goal and behind the goal kind of like hockey. It's the same as the boys game, obviously, but you want to create a lot of space and then, you know, some sort of organized movement. So you don't want to clutter up the middle. It makes things really hard. And I think that's probably something you're maybe seeing in those younger player games is a a big group of girls just running around the field together. So uh, creating a lot of space and then being aware of that paint area are a few first lessons you might want to teach someone. Sure. And, th- and then when it comes to the draw, not the face-off, the draw, what are the strategies there? Because I, I, I've seen girls pop it up and then catch it themselves, but then I've also seen them kind of flick it back to a teammate. Yes, for sure. I think um, a little bit different from the boys game in that, you know, if you have someone who's got really fast reaction skills or is just really powerful, they can place it 10, 20 yards away from them to a teammate. And I think that is the fastest and probably most effective way of getting the draw out because 
other than that, it's just a jump ball when the two draw girls uh, go against each other. So just like you said, there's, there's two ways to do it. You can pop it out to a teammate or you can go straight up in the air. And that's when someone's going to need to have, you know, good stick skills with holding the stick with just one hand, good, good jumping height, you know, who's going to get to that ball first. Sure. It's fun as a photographer to, to try to get those. Cause you know, you have a girl jumping, you know, a foot or two in the air and, and they're extended and they're usually tall and then they're dealing with a bigger stick and it, it's a wide frame, a tall frame. And, and it's pretty, it's, it's pretty exhilarating when you get that shot. Let's, let's talk about some of the rules. What, what are some of the rules that absolutely make sense in the girls game? And, and then what are some that you're like, what are we doing? Why is this here? Cause, and, and this is true for, for all sports, right? Not, I'm not singling out the girls lacrosse, but just what are some rules that you like? What are some that, that you'd like to see changed? Yeah, no, don't get me wrong. As a reminder, I refuse to play on that first day because I was so confused on the rules. People ask me this all the time. They're like, why aren't your girls shooting more? Because they've seen a boys game and the boys, you know, I don't know, 40, 50 shots a game, I assume. And the answer is you need to create your own space before you're allowed to shoot. And while maybe that's less exciting to watch to some people, I think it makes sense because you're forced to create movement and to create space before you can rip that shot. So we have something called shooting space, which just means if someone's in your way, you're not allowed to go. And it can be pretty frustrating for an attacker or a defender, but it it forces that like very pretty movement. And I like to call it like finesse. You have to, you have to be in the right spot at the right time in order to get, be able to take that shot. So shooting space keeps the defenders protected and forces the attackers to get creative. At the same time, a rule that people just don't love is that you can't check. You can't check bodies. You can't, can't check heads. You, you got to keep it pretty safe. So overall in girls lacrosse, you're only allowed to check stick to stick and you're only allowed to check away from the body. And that is where younger girls, high school girls, they're getting a lot of calls on that because you have to be really precise to not look like you're going anywhere near that other girl with your stick. Sure. And, and, you know, just like any rule that's open to interpretation from the official to our pleasure or dismay. Right. And also in the girls game, they have what they call the sphere, which is an imaginary sphere around the head. And if any, there's any check in there that that's going to be penalized as well. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. And then what, I, I've seen some of the other rules. One of the very first rules that I ever learned was you can't cover the ball with your stick. So if there's no raking, so to speak, right, you have yep. to pick it up as you should anyway, you should scoop through that ground ball and get it anyway without raking it. So very fundamental rule there. I, I think the other big rule when it comes to to girls lacrosse, there, there's two. And one is is a new rule that was recently implemented. I don't know if it was last year and I just didn't see it because we didn't play or if it was this year, but it's the self-start. What does that mean? How has that helped or hurt the game? Yeah, so actually, I might get this a little wrong, but so when they introduced new rules, they did it like top down. So when I was in college, there were rules that, you know, my high school friends weren't allowed to play yet. So self-start started a couple years ago already at the college level, but it was a pretty crazy rule beforehand. If there was a whistle, you had to freeze. Everyone on the field had to freeze. And it's a crazy concept. And I can't think of another sport where you have to do that. And so they basically just got rid of that rule. If the whistle is blown, you no one has to freeze. And it it's making it more of like a soccer game because 
you know, if you get kicked in the shins in a soccer game, I think you get the ball, you go back to where the foul happened and then you proceed. And that's basically what we're doing in girls lacrosse now is if you get fouled, you have to pick up the ball, just return to the spot of that foul and you get to self-start from there. You don't have to wait for the referee's whistle. And the only person on the field who has to do something is the girl who committed that foul. She has to go behind. And it's it's making the girls game much faster, easier to watch, maybe a little less confusing. So I think it's great. It's really it's a really hard adjustment, though, if you've been playing girls across for a while. That's for sure. And, and there was even a time I, I tell uh, people that I watch girls lacrosse with that when there was a timeout, you used to have to drop your stick right where you were and then return yeah. to that spot after the timeout, which blows their mind. So I'm glad they got rid of that as well. Yeah. <laughs> the, the other, the other sort of hot topic when it, when it comes to girls lacrosse is, is the helmet, right? You, you know, you have States like Florida who mandated that all their players wear it, you, you know, here in the state of Utah, we don't have that, but you definitely see there's at least one or two on every team that, that play with a helmet. What, what's sort of the logic behind that and then you know do you see a point where everyone's wearing a helmet you know what you might stop me on this question because i definitely have not done much research on it what i do know is the as the rules change in girls lacrosse i can see how needing a helmet might become necessary so for instance now we have self-start while that doesn't really affect your head the point is we're what we talked about in college is we're moving towards the men's game. Like that's all that's happening is we're moving closer and closer to having similar rules. So I'm neither for nor against it. I don't, I'm definitely not a part of that conversation, but it does seem like the biggest change, you know, changing the timeout rule doesn't seem like it needs a lot of reviewing or anything like that, but I'm definitely all about safety. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a bad thing. And I don't think getting similar to the men's game is bad either. If anything, the girls' sticks are being made closer and closer to men's sticks. So I think it's really exciting. And I think it would make the growth of girls lacrosse even, even further. Any more role changes just makes it more accessible. Sure. And, and, you know, even to your, to your very first story, right. You stuck with lacrosse, but there are, there are people out there who don't because, because it is confusing and there are a lot of rules. And you mentioned the the girl sticks, they're getting more and more uh, similar to men's, you know, mesh was introduced into a girl stick just a, a couple of years ago, you, you know, where the men's game has had it for years. Interesting, interesting conversation. I'm trying to think what, what are some other, well, I guess along those lines of women's becoming more like men's and, and is the whole Olympic movement, right? And, and so you have basically what we've heard or what's been reported is, is that the, the more similar the men and women's game is, and potentially even for a co-ed version, the more likely it is to be included in, in future Olympics. And so to your point, I think that is important to, as, as a thing to think about now, the whole Olympic movement is, a, it could be a debate <laughs> in and of itself, right? There's people who want uh they want field lacrosse in and if it's not field lacrosse they don't want it in right and and then you have others who are no it's it's lacrosse no matter what form it takes it should be in and so you know if you want to comment on that feel free i won't hold you to it though if, if you sway one way or another yeah let, let me pass on the olympics <laughs> <laughs> so an, an interesting an interesting thing to follow though is as sort of 
the sport progresses in that regard, you know, not only do we have the women's game and, and its rules, but, but also the Olympics and what may happen there. And, and that may transform the game as well. You're, you're seeing it sort of now though, even with the United lines, right. And so you've got, you've got fields that some of these schools have put in that have share a similar boundary. And so you're kind of already starting to see some of that. And then, as you mentioned, some of these, these rules for the girls game that are, are leaning towards more of what a traditional boys game may look like. What, what do you, what, what are sort of your, you know, what, what are sort of your final thoughts on, on just the girls game in general? What, what's something that it's going to take to really, you know, whether it's, it's worldwide or nationally or, or even in Utah, really, really ex- expound growth. Yeah, definitely living out here has given me a new understanding of new sports, especially to high schoolers. You know, I, I grew up in New York where is the lacrosse hub, you know, next to Maryland and Massachusetts, I guess. So uh, it was like second nature to me growing up, but I definitely think we'll just need a space to learn, you know, foreign sports are not that welcoming. And, you know, I think we have 55 girls teams, which is crazy. Like that is, that is already so many from two years ago. So it's so exciting to see so many people joining and, brand new coaches just picking it up trying to figure it out but I think you know the best the best next thing for Utah is getting the club team together to you know get people a stick in their hand and someone who can teach them the basics is it that would be we already have that but more of that is is all we need and I think I think it's looking great already, to be honest. But yeah, like I said, numbers of varsity and a JV team for each program is is imperative and good educators is the next thing because sometimes I get crazy looks when I teach my girls something because they've never heard it before. And then I question whether I'm saying the right thing or not. But I think I'm just introducing new concepts. So, you know, free clinics from teams or getting, you know, the middle school girls out there is they're, they're so excited about learning new sports. It's so cute. So yeah, just getting more people involved, more adults involved, getting parents uh, up to date on the rules so they can help out at home, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, that's where my daughter fell in love with it. They did a trial axe in Davis County and we went to it and, and she really loved it there. And so I love what you said about the club, the club scene too. You're, you're a coach at true, you know, there's a, there's a handful of, of girls club teams out there as well. That'll be competing this summer. Anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up? You know, I'm just, I'm super appreciative to be here while it's getting sanctioned in Utah and uh, so thankful to have the referees and the administration jump on so quickly this year and last. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I encourage people to, encourage your children to try it reach out to your high school coaches look for club programs yeah just reach out and hopefully we'll continue to see it grow in the next couple of years that that sounds great i'm all i'm all for it thanks for joining me today i appreciate it and uh, we'll see you on the sidelines pretty soon here thanks Tim.